Good morning. It's been a beautiful morning so far, worshiping with you. And as Paula said, it's been a great morning in Sunday school. And it really, to me, I, I, I'm about to preach on what it means to be the body. And so far today, it's just been such an incredible example and essence of that. So I feel like I, I'm just commentating on what we've been doing. Um, so it's such a cool thing uh, to think through, and, and, and it is beautiful. And I'm so thankful that the Lord um, has called us individuals together here at Calvary to worship together, to serve this community together, and to bless one another. And it's, it's so sweet, and, and what we have here man, is truly good and beautiful. So we're going to continue our study uh, in this, this series called The Walk. And the, the whole concept of, of The Walk series is really looking at the essentials of the Christian faith, not from a, from a purely theological perspective, but from a practical perspective as well. And one of the very essential ideas uh, of Christianity is that we are all members of the body of Christ. Well, what, what in the world does that mean? Well, that's what we're going to uh, unpack this morning as we are in the text this morning in 1 Corinthians 12. So if you can open your Bible, go ahead to turn and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We will be reading verses 12 uh, through 31 this morning. But it is a beautiful passage and one that I think is, is really timely uh, for today, this idea is timely for today because there's such a such a temptation in our, our modern uh, Western culture to privatize everything. Meaning, everything can be compartmentalized into something that I do as an individual and doesn't necessarily have to do with anyone else. Um, so I can privatize all of these different areas of my life. I can privatize even my faith. That what I do in my faith is really a, a private matter, and then you do whatever you want to do, and we really can just um, keep all these different uh, boxes of, of where we are not necessarily depending on anyone else. There's this autonomy, there's this exclusivity that we are over here, you're over there. But what we will find when we actually come to the scriptures and we ask the question, what does it mean to live as a follower of Christ? You cannot divorce true discipleship. You cannot divorce, I believe, true Christianity from biblical community. And so that's what we're going to be unpacking this morning. And the major doctrine that I want to defend is, is that the body is many in members, yet one in unity and function. The body is many in members, yet one in unity and function. And so I want to unpack that idea this morning, but perhaps you feel a little bit like you don't really know who you are in the body. You really don't know what role you play in the body. And sometimes it's easy to feel like it doesn't even matter if I'm a part of this. It doesn't even matter if I'm here or not. But that's, that's not true, and, and, and I want to actually offer a solution to that question and to that tension that may live in your heart I think that that scripture can give us an idea here of how to solve that. Um, but I want you to have on your heart and your mind as we start this morning, and I want to put it on the screen, that there is one body and each member is needed by and needs every other member. I want that to be an overarching pedal tone, if you will, a theme that every one of us is needed by the others and we need everyone else. 
This is, this is absolutely critical when we start to look at this idea of, of biblical community. And so then we start to recognize our identity within this. And I'm reminded of the story of, 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 a, of a couple of guys who uh, possibly had too much fun and they were leaving a certain venue. And let's just say that they weren't fully with it. And they were lost and they couldn't find their way and they see this guy coming towards them and this guy was actually a general in the military and he had all of his stuff on, you know, all the lettuce they say, all, all of his, his ranking and it was very clear who he was but these guys were a little out of their element and they said, hey, you, can you tell us where we are? And he says, do you guys have any idea who I am? And they said, oh, we are in big trouble. We don't know where we are and he doesn't know who he is. We've got to recognize that, there's, that we have a role to play, and it is important for us to identify what role we play in the church, and that is part of our identity, that we are in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, it means that we belong to the body of Christ. What does that mean? Well, let's unpack that this morning. So if you will, stand with me, and we'll begin reading our scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one in body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body we think less honor, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not receive or require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church, first, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then the gift of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles... Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. A body without one of its members is by nature deformed. A body without one of its members by nature is deformed. And so it is true, as we see here in Scripture, that every one of us plays a role. And so I want to make three stops as we unpack this idea of, of what it means to be one body. First, I want to answer the question, what is the body? Second, I want to answer the question, what does the body do? And then third, 
I want to emphasize this point here that the body is one. So what is the body? What does the body do? And how is the body one? There's the three places that we will, we will spend time in this morning. And, and I want to answer this first question, what is the body? Well, there's, there's a lot to, to be said here. Um, and in a nutshell, the body is, is the church. But there's a distinction to be made. There's the visible church, and then there's the invisible church. And you may think, well, what are you talking about? Hang with me. The visible church is us. The visible church is all of the believers. And what's interesting, though, is intertwined in the visible church is that there still can be tares there. There can be false converts. There can be people who come to church but aren't in Christ, right? As Dr. Lloyd-Jones says, he knew what it was to be in the church but not in Christ. So there's the visible representation of the church, and even in the visible representation of the church, not everyone who is in the church physically is actually spiritually in the body of Christ. Think about that for a second. Is it possible to be in church, in a building somewhere, in a community, yet not be in Christ? Yes. If that wasn't possible, why in the world would anyone give an altar call? Why in the world would anyone ever give a, give a gospel presentation? Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be pretty redundant? So the assumption is true. It's there that it's possible to be in the church but not in Christ. So the visible church is all of the believers and everyone else who may be professing to be believers yet not actually believers. That's the visible church. But here's the invisible church. The invisible church is the, that is comprised of, here's a $20 word, the elect. All who God has chosen to save, and that is whoever will trust in Christ, he sees that number. Now, I am not going to get into how you get in the elect camp and how you're part of the chosen or any of that. That's not for today. Maybe some other time, and that'll be exciting. The point is, is that God sees the invisible church. We don't know who all of that means. Throughout time, the church didn't start this century, did it? We can't see all of the church, but God sees. And whenever he looks into our hearts, we may be sitting in a church building somewhere, and we are not in Christ. God is not confused. God is not sitting there saying, I guess he's there. I guess they I guess you belong to Jesus. That isn't, that isn't the reality. The reality is, is that God sees exactly who the body of Christ is. So what our job is, as those who are true believers, and I'm assuming that you can say that about yourself. If you've trusted in Christ, you can say that about yourself. Our job is to make the invisible church visible. We are to be the visible church, living as the body of Christ. And we'll unpack that a little bit more. But there is a distinction to be made there between the visible and the invisible church. And our job as true believers is to make the invisible church visible in the world. But here's, here's the thing in verse 27. I'll put it on the screen. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So he's saying, when we ask the question, what is the body? He's saying us. Okay, all of the believers, we are the body of Christ. But here's, here's another idea that, that we can look at in another passage that Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, um, that the body is the church, which is the body of Christ. And explicitly it says this, Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So you see that Christ is the head. Who's the body? Well, it is, it is the church, right? Because we see this in another passage of scripture, Colossians 1.24 where Paul says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, 
And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of what? His body. That is the church. So when we ask, what does it mean to be part of the body? It literally is to be a part of the church. There is one true holy Catholic church, the universal church. I'm not talking about Catholicism. I'm talking about the universal church, the real true body of Christ, which is you and I, the believers who are found in Christ, with Christ as our head, and we are his body. There's a beautiful imagery there that we see in Scripture. So the church is believers, that is, everyone who trusts in Christ. Everyone who trusts in Christ is part of this body. Another place in Ephesians 3, 6, Paul outlines this. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Do you see that? The mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, put it in bold, members of the same body. There is one body. Christ is the head. We are the body, which means we are the church. And there's this beautiful relationship here. So when we start to look at this, we start to ask, um, what, what does this mean? Well, I want to I put this in your mind, and I want you to write this down. Sometimes in our culture, there's a misconception as to what church is. And I've had this conversation with a lot of people before. And they say, I reject organized religion. Okay, when you think of the church from that perspective, all you're doing is reducing church to an organization. Okay, so I want you to write this down. Organization versus organism. Because the point is, is that the church is not an organization. Although there is a structural hierarchy, although there is professional, if you will, ministry, the church is not reducible simply to an organization. The church itself is an organism. When, you ask, you, you, when I say that, you're going to ask, what is an organism? Well, let me give you this, the, the simple definition. An organism is a life form. Okay? Think of the church as a life form. Don't think of it as a cold, dead structure don't think of it as just some org chart. The church is this person, and these people report to that person, and underneath is all these slaves, right, known as Sunday school teachers. <laughs> Don't think like that. Think that the church is an organism. It is a life form. And when you start to think about the church, the body of Christ, not as an organization, but as an organism, you play a part. You are one of those members in that organism. And therefore, you, you can't just absolve yourself from responsibility and say, I don't belong to that organization. Because you aren't just looking at First Baptist Church Owasso slash Calvary Campus and say, I'm not a part of that organization, and I'm over here on my own privatizing my faith, what you have to recognize is globally, bigger picture, every one of us is part of a life form. The body of Christ is not dead. The body of Christ is a living thing. So don't confuse the two. Don't look at the church as simply an organization. Consider it as an organism, which you are a part of. So what is the body of Christ? It is the church, and Christ is the head of the church. Christ gave himself for the church. And so we recognize that this is what it means to be the body of Christ. First, there, there is true qualifications. 
And, and you, may, you may say, what? Qualifications for being in the church? Yes, there are qualifications. One, you have to be regenerate. You have to be born again to be in the true church because you can't just be here in this building and then truly be part of the organism. That's being part of the organization without being a part of the organism. Do you get that? So you can't just show up and say, I'm part of the organization, therefore I am saved. That doesn't qualify you. The qualification for being a part of the body of Christ is that you are found in Christ, that you've been redeemed, that you have the same love and affection for him that the Father and the Son have for one another. And that's, that's a growing thing. But it is possible for us to profess with our mouths but not love Christ with our hearts. So if you profess Christ only with your mouth, but you don't love Christ with your heart, you may be part of the organization, but not part of the organism. So this is the body. Well, let's move on to ask the question, what does the body do? Well, the body worships and glorifies God. That's a very simple statement. The body worships and glorifies God. How do we do that? Well, there's a number of different ways that we do that. And, and Paul is outlining this big argument in, in this passage. He says, For just as the body is one, as many members, and all the members of the body through many are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, and free. All were made to drink of one spirit. And he goes on and he, and he talks about the roles that we play. But in this... Verse 27, now you are a body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, the various kinds of tongues. Then he goes on to ask these questions. But what he's, what he's emphasizing is part of what the body does. And in, in these things, in helping, in healing, in teaching, and in administrating, all of these other things what is the root of that? What is the point of that? Those are the actions, but what is the objective? The objective is to bring glory to God. And that's what we do. The body worships and glorifies God. And there's, there's a couple of primary ways that we do that, um, let's just say, officially. Now, I think we can do this privately as well, and we ought to be doing this privately. But as we come together in corporate uh, worship in order to praise and, and worship God, um, we pray together, we praise together, and then we set under the preaching of the word. Okay, so we pray together, we praise together, and we sit under the preaching of the word. I don't know, I guess there's three P's there, isn't there? Prayer, praise, preach. Okay, that'll work. So think like that. When we come together, what is the objective? The objective is not simply just to see one another and to have a good time with one another and drink some, some good coffee and, and, and then uh, go about our ways. If we are not doing those three things, I'm going to argue we are not functioning as the body should function because when we pray together, that is part of corporate worship. When we praise together, that is part of cor corporate worship. And then when we sit under the preaching of the word, that is also corporate worship. And that's what we see time and time again throughout the New Testament, that that's what we were supposed to do, that there were some that are set aside to be devoted to prayer and the preaching of the word. Well, preaching of the, how does, what does that have to do with anything? Well, because God is giving us his precepts right here for what it means to live truly as devoted followers of Christ as we pursue greater holiness, as we pursue greater obedience. How do you know what, 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 if we're making progress? How do you know if you're becoming more like Christ? Well, what is Christ like? Well, his word tells us what he is like. 
the word challenges us, the word reads us, the word corrects us. And so when we're coming to the word, we must recognize that it has authority over our lives. And that we can't just privatize our faith and come up with any old thing we want to and say, well, for me, this is what my God is like, and for me, this is how I worship him. It's the, it's the reverse. It's the opposite. If God says, this is what I'm like, and this is how you should worship me. It's, it's, it's that idea, and, and many of us have, have wrestled with it and, and, and recognized it in our lives, that um, the immature gift giver, what does the immature gift giver do? The immature gift giver gives gifts that they like, right? I don't know if you've ever had to teach your kids that, but it's like, hey, this isn't about you. This is about who you're giving this to. Um, my wife's birthday is this week, and we were going around uh, with, I took my, uh, my kids, and we went shopping for her um, at Walmart, because that's where you go shop for mom. And we're walking around, and, and uh, you know, the kids are pointing out, well, mom, mom would really like this pineapple mug. And I was like, ah, I don't think she really wants the pineapple mug. I think she'd appreciate it, but we already have too many mugs, you know. But, well, I really like it. Well, I know you like it. But does mom like it? Uh, what about this hand soap? It's pink. I like the color. I know you like the color, but I don't think mom wants uh, some great value hand soap for her birthday. <sighs> But, but the objective, right, in giving gifts is to honor the person we're giving the gift to. Well, it's not about us at that point, is it? And so if the objective is to give praise and honor to God, it's not about us. And this isn't a sermon as to what that looks like. The point is, is that of the, at the body, one of the jobs of the body, the primary role of the body, I believe, is to come together to worship and glorify God. And when we do that, we're submitting to the scripture, which outlines how... We are to worship him, which isn't just singing. It is prayer and submitting to the word. And that's one of the beauties of, of the biblical community is that we come together and we submit ourselves to these things. So that's, that's three things that I think are paramount in when we ask the question, what does the body do? The body worships and glorify God. And we do that formally through prayer, praise, and preaching of the word. But also the body gathers and participates in corporate worship and communion and celebrates baptism, right? But also the body ordains and sends out. So in Acts 13.3, it says this. It was talking about Paul and Barnabas. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. So part of the body is to ordain and to send. If you remember in that passage, they were at church, while they're at church, the Holy Spirit's like, hey, send them out. I've got work for them to do. And so we see part of being members of the body is that we ordain, set aside individuals to send them out for the work of the gospel. So that's part of what the body does, but also the body builds itself up in love. I know I'm going in a lot of different places here with scripture, but I think these are important for us. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, it says, we are to grow up in every way in him who is the head, into Christ from the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. What? What does it do? Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When each part is working properly, these aren't my words, this is scripture. When each part is working properly, it produces something. What? It produces growth in love. So the body is the church. The head is Christ. 
The body does something. It worships and glorifies God, but also it builds itself up in love. And part of that process is ordaining and sending. But this is the beauty that the body is also equipped for the ministry. Ephesians 5, 23, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. I don't know about you, but as I read through these, I start to pick up the theme that there is no room for privatized spirituality. We are part of the body. You can't cut off a finger and throw it on the bench and say, do your job. It can't do its job apart from the body. You can't, as a believer, go in, in, in isolation and live your own privatized faith and say, I'm part of the body. I'm helping the body build itself up in love. How? How can you do that? It's impossible for you to do that. So I'm preaching to the choir here because you're here. But don't let it seep into you, this cultural narrative that I can privatize my faith and that really all God cares about is me and him. As long as our relationship is good, that's all he cares about. That's not true. Because he hasn't saved us to set us off in isolation so that we might just enjoy our own salvation in private. He has saved us, and not only has he saved us, he's equipped us with particular gifts for serving others. I was rebuked once when I was younger. Uh, I've been rebuked a lot of times, but one time I, I want to share it with you. Some of them I don't want to share it with you. I was leading worship at a small church in Houston, Texas, and, and I was kind of over it. I was like, you know, just, I'm done. You know, I'm going to move on to something else in my life. And my pastor said, your gifts aren't for you. I'll be there Sunday. But he was right. Because I thought, I've got, I've got this thing, and I'm done doing that thing because I'm, you know, whatever. I don't get along with this person, and I'm just tired of putting songs together, and I'm tired of doing all that. So I think I'm just going to do something else, you know. Just decided on my own. And my pastor rebuked me. He said, your gifts aren't for you. Yes, sir. But sometimes we think our gifts are for us. I have to be reminded of this often. I'm a little bit like some of the old dead guys that I would be perfectly fine sitting in a recliner somewhere reading books and enjoying my own, my own thing. And I would be rightfully rebuked if I never came and participated as part, as part of the body even though I may be studying those great things and reading old people and those are great theologians, if I didn't plug in, I would be sinning. You too. You can't just go and read your Bible off by yourself and read Oswald Chambers and read all these other good things by yourself and say, I went to church today. That's not true. Because we are meant to build one another up in love. And you can't do that when you're by yourself. So what does the body do? The body equips for the ministry. The body is building up each other. It's building up itself. They equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The body cares for each other. You see this in verse 25. Um, if you look over in verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. It's not just that you care for yourself, but you care for others. And this is, this is part of what it means to be a part of the body. The body does this. It cares for one another. And part of caring for one another is also reproving and restoring. 
Galatians 6.1. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This is one of my favorite passages um, because I know the value of what it means to be restored in a spirit of gentleness. I know what it is to feel that burden of sin, to feel the shame, to feel broken, to feel not qualified, and then to be restored in a spirit of gentleness. Do you know how valuable that is? Do you know what humility comes from that? When we live in biblical community and we can confess our sins to one another, yet there's grace and mercy. You know, I believe that some people don't want to be a part of the body because they don't want that kind of accountability. But not just that, I think, and they're right, they're right in saying this, that the body will eat the wounded. And so there's a very much a sense of, I don't want any part of that, because if I am vulnerable with you, you're not going to restore me in a spirit of gentleness. You're going to talk trash about me behind my back. That's what you're going to do. As soon as I'm vulnerable with you, and I tell you the true story, as soon as our conversation is over, you're going to go tell everyone else all the crazy stuff that I've been having in my life. Isn't that what we fear? And so then it, then, it, then it crushes biblical community because what we're supposed to be able to do is we're supposed to be able to be honest with one another. That does not mean that you have to come up and every Sunday tell everybody in here every messed up thing you ever did throughout the week or even in your whole life. That's not the point. But there should be a heart of gentleness and restoration that the gospel is for believers because part of the job of the body is to restore those who have been broken. Because every one of us are going to be in that place at some point in time. I won't share names, but there was a gentleman not long ago reaching out to me about some things like this. And I told him, I said, man, let me be someone who restores you in a spirit of gentleness. Because you know what? There may be a day where I have to call you and you restore me. Maybe you're the one who then, when it says this, with those who are spiritual... It isn't like there's some elite group of spiritual people of, see, I got that badge, I'm spiritual. It isn't that. It's that there is always a remnant that's faithful. I don't know how God works that out, but there's a faithful remnant. And if maybe one day you are that person who's walking with the Lord. Your communion with him is sweet. You're connected and you're just filled with the Spirit. But then there's other days, you know how the switch flips. One day you're so, man, I love you. You are my everything. And I want nothing but you. Then the next day it's like, I'm going to do my own thing. But there's those days where you are sweet with the Lord. And the person who's off doing their own thing, that's when you are in that place to restore them. Because there may be a day where you're the one walking off saying, I'm going to do my own thing. And their walking and their communion with the Lord is sweet. And they're able to restore you. But that's what the body does. And that's why we need each other. And that's why my argument is that if the body is missing one of its members, it's by nature deformed. Because we need each other to build each other up in love and to glorify and praise God through that biblical community so we care for one another we, we are equipped for the ministry through biblical community but we also reprove and restore one another and I want to answer that question I asked earlier you know you may feel 
that I don't have a, I don't have any value. I'm I'm not adding any value in the in the biblical community. I don't really have a job. Rob, can you write down a list of of of, of things that I can do so that I can feel like I'm part of the ministry because I feel like I'm not doing anything right now. Well, let me tell you. Let me, let me write this down. Here's one thing you can do. Always one thing you can do for the body that will be good and fulfilling. And that's to seek to be a blessing to others. If you just strive to do that, seek to be a blessing to others. Really simple goal, and it can take on a number of different forms. Seek to be a blessing to others. Because there's beauty in that. When you're thinking of church as an organism rather than an organization, don't think, what is my job? That can be part of it, but that's more on that organization type thing. Think in the organism, how can I nurture, build up, equip, love, serve someone else? If your aim is to be a blessing to someone else, you are serving the body of Christ. You are adding value. And it's very tempting for us to say, unless I'm up on here on this little platform, I'm not doing any work. That's not true. If you are setting it in your heart to honor God by blessing members of the church, that is a beautiful journey to be on. When you hear about a need and you're able to help in that, that is being a blessing to someone. If you hear about someone who needs prayer and you pray with them, visiting someone in the hospital, visiting someone in their home, it doesn't matter what it is, but if that's your heart and that's your aim, to be a blessing to others, what you do is you stop focusing on you. Because you know what? A lot of times when we start to feel um, like we're not adding value, we're not, we're not doing blah, 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 what we're thinking about is us in that. You're thinking about you. Flip that switch and think about how can I bless someone else? And when you start thinking like that, opportunities become very apparent. You know when you're about to buy a car and you're looking at a particular model? What do you do? When you're driving down the road, what starts happening? You start seeing that car everywhere. Look, there's that car. You look at it. Same thing. When you start to actually say, how can I bless somebody? How can I bless others? You start seeing the opportunities. But when you're only introverted and thinking about what I'm not doing, you're blind to that. Because you're thinking, well, that's not really what I want to do. What I really want to do is this. But if you reduce your goal back down to being a blessing to others, you can add value, and God will honor that. Number three, the body is one. So as we see here in verse 12 and 13, look over here, it says, For in one spirit, actually 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And there's beauty in this unity. And as, as the major doctrine I'm trying to defend is that the body is many in members, yet one in unity and function. The body of Christ is not divided. And the body of Christ is, is, is heading towards one objective, and that's to bring glory to the Father. That's our function, is to bring glory and praise to the Father. This, this, that's what Christ came to do in obedience to the Father, was he wanted to glorify the Father. And we glorify Christ, and we glorify the Father, and we glorify the Holy Spirit when we are living as one body. Because, as he says here, for just as the body is one, 
there's many members. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And remember that, that we aren't on our own. We aren't off privatizing our faith. Because there truly is one Father of all. So I want to ask as we close this morning, are you tempted to privatize your faith? Are you attempted to avoid local membership and the accountability that it brings? Because that's a very tempting thing. And you know when we're most tempted to avoid the body? is when we're living in sin. It's really hard to want to go in and plug in when you're living in unrepentant sin. So check that. Let that be a, let that be a check for you. Because what we should be recognizing is that to be truly a follower of Christ is to be part of his body. And that means serving and loving one another. If you'll stand.